Do you have any vivid memories from your childhood that just will stick with you forever no matter what? Uh, I've got one. Uh, it was a particularly unpleasant memory, but it's a time when I was maybe six or seven years old and I had to have stitches in my head. Now we'll leave out the part of the story where I was running around on the tables and backs of chairs in the Sunday school class and fell and hit my head on the table and that's why I had to have the stitches. But, but what I will never forget about that experience was going to the hospital, going into the operating room, and just being unable to control myself. I was so overcome with pain and anguish and adrenaline and fear that I couldn't be still for them to put the stitches in. And, and so they had to wrap me up in something like a papoose to hold me still, to, to bring my body still enough so that they could put in the stitches so that the healing could occur. I think about that experience and that memory that will be with me and what I was feeling and what had to be done. And I think about our world that we're living in right now and how in so many ways we are feeling overcome, overwhelmed with pain, anguish, anger, fear. It makes me think about a passage in the New Testament where the Apostle Paul was writing to the church at Ephesus about some of these same feelings and what God has to say for us in times like this. So I want to read for us from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. And this is what it says. Therefore, as a prisoner of the Lord, I encourage you to live as people worthy of the call you received from God. Conduct yourselves with all humility, gentleness, and patience. Accept each other with love and make an effort to preserve the unity of the Spirit with the peace that ties you together. You are one body and one Spirit, just as God also called you in one hope. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. Thank God. As Paul is writing to Ephesus, he names that he's writing from the perspective of one who's been a prisoner, imprisoned for the Lord. And, and that language maybe rings true for us in new ways these days. How, how many times has it felt like during the time of isolation or quarantine that uh, we've felt imprisoned, confined in our own homes or, you know, in, in some ways separated from people we love and enjoy? Our, our lives have been greatly constrained. We don't get to do and experience the things that we're accustomed to. And honestly, that gives me a new sense of compassion for people who are incarcerated. Particularly in a system that in so many ways is set up to disadvantage and disenfranchise the incarcerated. A system that is so desperately in need of reform. As Paul writes as someone from the perspective of a prisoner, he says to the church at Ephesus and, and to any Christians who would read this or hear this, and, and to you and me today, he names his concern about the divisions that he sees in the church 
and the divisions were many. Uh, they were racial and ethnic, the Jews and Gentiles. They were economic between the haves and the have-nots. Uh, they were political between those who wanted to work within the system and those who wanted a revolution. There were even religious divisions amongst the different factions who understood differently what it meant to live out this faith of following Jesus. Racial, economic, social, political, religious divisions among them. Does any of that sound familiar? Even within the church, those divisions exist, even today. I know, it's shocking. And so what is the word in Ephesus for people living in this time of tension and divide? Well, one biblical commentator says that the word in Ephesus from Paul to Christians living in those kinds of times and ways is to grow up. To, to grow and mature in their faith, in living out the way of Jesus in the midst of times of division. And that growing up, according to Paul in Ephesus, that growing up looks like growth and maturity towards unity, towards being one, especially a unity around Christ and especially a unity characterized by humility, patience, and gentleness. And that theme of unity, especially in the use of the word one, just occurs over and over and over again in these scriptures. And don't we want that? Don't we need that? Unity, being one. This passage that lifts up unity and being one is concerned about a, a worldview, a, a religious idea, or a political idea that has been built on division and separation that, that calls one better than another. And, and, and Paul is saying that none of those exist in Christianity. It's one of the things that concerns me as a Christian pastor today when we even talk about our nation, America, and when we start to talk about America as being better than any other nation, I just don't think that lines up with the teachings of Scripture, with our understanding of being citizens of the kingdom of God that extends beyond borders and unites us all together. I don't, I don't know that it lines up with our faith to talk about ourselves, our religion, our nation, our city, as better than or above anybody else's. And that's evidenced here in this scripture where Paul calls us above everything else to unity, to being one. Christianity wants unity. Unity in the world community which is why we have a social principle in the United Methodist Church around our identity as a world community. And, and we've named our social principles as sort of our best practices to understand how we live out this faith, 
how we be Christian in our world today. And I want to read for us a section from our social principle on the world community. This is what it says. God's world is one world. The unity now being thrust upon us by technological revolution has far outrun our moral and spiritual capacity to achieve a stable world. The enforced unity of humanity, increasingly evident on all levels of life, presents the church as well as all people with problems that will not wait for answer. Injustice, war, exploitation, privilege, population, international ecological crisis, proliferation of arsenals of nuclear weapons, development of transnational business organizations that operate beyond the effective control of any government structure, and the increase of tyranny in all its forms, this generation must find viable answers to these and related questions if humanity is to continue on this earth. We commit ourselves as a church to the achievement of a world community that is a fellowship of persons who honestly love one another. We pledge ourselves to seek the meaning of the gospel in all issues that divide people and threaten the growth of world community. Our church, our social disciplines, our scriptures, our God, our faith call us to unity as a world community. And Paul names the way to that unity is the peace that ties us together. That unity that he writes about is one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God of all. And as we celebrate World Communion Sunday today, we name one loaf and one cup. The way to this unity is through peace, is with the peace that ties us together. Not unlike when I was having to have those stitches put in my head and I had to be bound and, and tied tightly so that my writhing, my agony, my pain could be dealt with in order to allow the stitches to be put in my head. Our world is writhing in anguish and reacting to it. And God in Christ Jesus is holding us tightly together with love. In the church, Christ is binding us together, is what Paul is telling us, into peace. And I don't ever lift up the church as better than the rest of the world. I think that's conceited and misguided, but I will say this, in a world that feels like it's being torn apart, not in the church, right? We are being held together tightly by the love of God so that there might be peace. Peace doesn't mean just maintaining the status quo. It doesn't mean stifling or quelling, you know, the reaction that is happening to the pain and anguish that is being experienced. It doesn't mean the absence of pain nor the absence of the corrective action and healing, but rather the peace that binds us together is peace 
that is experienced so that the pain can be felt, acknowledged, and addressed. So the corrective action and healing can take place. And Paul names three characteristics that exist in a space of this kind of peace, love, and unity. He names humility, patience, and gentleness. And I want to offer for us that we could understand those three things for ourselves and among us this way. I like to think of humility as acknowledging that I might be wrong and don't realize it. Patience is acknowledging that you might be wrong and don't realize it. And gentleness is acknowledging that we both might be wrong and we don't realize it. Have you ever been in a moment or a place like that when you've been in a conversation with somebody or working on something together with somebody and, and you come to the realization that you both had it wrong? What else can you do in moments like that? But acknowledge and experience the peace that comes with knowing that while we may not have it perfectly figured out, we, we may get it wrong. We have each other. We have this life that we share. We don't just have it personally and individually, but we have it together. We have it corporately. We have it as a family. We have it as a community. We have it as a church. And we have it as a world. Today we're celebrating and naming and experience that we have this together by sharing in the communion meal on World Communion Sunday. The, the one bread and the one cup. You know, World Communion Sunday is an initiative that is celebrated by the National Council of Churches. It's the largest ecumenical organization in our country, and the United Methodist Church is a participant and a member of that National Council of Churches. For many years, the members of the National Council of Churches have observed the World Communion Sunday on the first Sunday in October today. And the intent was to promote unity and ecumenical cooperation among the followers of Jesus, even across our divides and differences. It feels difficult today to, to celebrate communion. It's different in this season of distancing. Nonetheless, we are united by this meal us in this congregation, and us with members of congregations, with Christians all over the world. You know, this writing by Paul from prison and this reading being done on World Communion Sunday brings to mind a story told in a book by Alex Gondola. That it's a collection of sermons on the Last Supper called Come As You Are, and I want to share the story with you. It's about a Methodist pastor. His name is Thomas Pettypiece. He was a political prisoner, a prisoner of conscience. Pettypiece writes of his first Easter Sunday spent in prison. He was among 10,000 prisoners 
And most all of them had lost everything, their homes, their jobs, their families, their furniture. And it was Easter Sunday, and they wanted to celebrate communion. But they had no cup for communion. They had no wine for communion. They didn't even have water for communion, nor did they have any bread for the sacrament. So they practiced the communion of empty hands. This meal in which we take part, Petty Peace said, reminds us of the imprisonment, the torture, the death and final victory of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The bread is the body which he gave for humanity. The fact that we have none represents very well the lack of bread in the hunger of so many millions of human beings. The wine, which we don't have today, is his blood and represents our dream of a united humanity, of a just society without difference of race or class. Then, Petty Peace, the pastor, held out his empty hand to the next person on the right and passed on the imaginary loaf. Each one took a piece and passed it on. And then he said, take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And together they ate the imaginary bread, trying to imagine tasting it. After a moment, they passed around the non-existent chalice, each imagining he was drinking from it. Take, drink. This is the blood of Christ which was shed for you. Let us give thanks, sure that Christ is here with us, strengthening us. They gave thanks to God and then stood up and embraced each other. And a while later, one of the non-Christian prisoners came up to them and said, you people have something special, which I would like to have. And the father of a girl who had died came up to Petty Peace and said, Pastor, this was a real experience. I believe that today I discovered what faith is. And we can feel like right now our church hands are empty. They are not. We have the love of Jesus Christ in us and among us, and we can pass it on one to another in any number of new and creative ways. So I hope you will come today and share in this meal. Take the blessing with you to share and be the church right where you are and discover just how full your hands are as instruments of the peace of Christ. Lift up your hearts and give thanks to God. So our, our communion meal today, if you come to campus between the times of 11.30 and 1 o'clock, will take this form. It's a self-contained bread and juice. And so we'll distribute them in a means that's touchless, so it's safe, distanced, masked. And I invite you to come and, and receive communion. Now you, you open up the top of this and there's a wafer there, the bread, and then you open up the next layer and that's the juice. And so you can eat the bread and then drink the juice and share in the communion meal together with everyone else in your community of faith and our community of faith here at Chamberly and, and believers all over the world. So I want to offer now the great thanksgiving for our meal. And then I will conclude that with an amen. We'll have another song and a benediction, a blessing. And then I hope that you will continue in a spirit of worship and come to campus between 1130 and 1 and share in this communion meal. But would you receive now this blessing of the thanksgiving over our meal? 
Blessed are you, O God, who with your word and Holy Spirit created all things and called them good. In Jesus Christ, your word became flesh and dwelt among us. Through Jesus' suffering and death, you took upon yourself our sin and death and destroyed their power forever. You raised the same Jesus from the dead, who now reigns with you in glory, and poured upon us your Holy Spirit, making us the people of your new covenant. On the night before meeting with death, Jesus took bread, gave thanks to you, broke the bread, gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And when the supper was over, Jesus took the cup, gave thanks to you, gave it to the disciples and said, Drink from this all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so in remembrance of these, your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ's offering for us. Pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts that in the breaking of this bread and the drinking of this wine, we may know the presence of the living Christ and be renewed as the body of Christ for the world, redeemed by Christ's blood until Christ comes in final victory and we feast at your table forever. Through Christ, with Christ, in Christ, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, All honor and glory is yours, almighty God, now and forever. Amen.